Well, God bless you. Thank you for joining us, church, this morning. It's great to be with you. And uh, you've never looked better than what you're looking right now. Looking fantastic. Why don't you smile at the person that you're with, if you're with someone, and say, you look fantastic too. <laughs> That's great. And um, what's the date today? The, the 10th of October. Actually, in fact, the 10th of October is the end of rabbit season. Must be because I notice there's no rabbits around here today. There's no rabbit jerseys or anything like that. In fact, I think the end of rabbit season might have been last week, around about 9.30 or so. And um, what a great week it was last week. Didn't, mantha, didn't mention anything about a team of black cats or anything like that, Lindsay. But I love you heaps, brother. Say good day to pop for me. <laughs> uh, that's great. Hey, um, I just want to share with you a word today which has been on my heart. But before I do, I just want to just remind you that uh, in New South Wales, the restrictions are easing tomorrow for our, nation, for our state, although for, it changes a lot for our country areas, actually get a little bit more restricted. But um, as a church, I really felt that uh, one thing we cannot do ever, and that is discriminate against anyone about coming to church, no matter what they look like, no matter what they do, no matter their behaviour. And um, so... Because someone who has not had the coronavirus vaccine is not allowed to come to church next week at 70% vaccination rates, we've decided we're not going to open up the church because it's not the church's right to say no to anyone. Our job is to allow everyone to come in. And until we're allowed to do that, we're going to remain live streaming to you and we're going to stop meeting together as a church. However, what I'm going to encourage you to do is to gather with people. You're allowed to gather as of tomorrow or midnight tonight. And um, why don't you gather people in your home? I'm not quite sure of the numbers, but um, maybe you're allowed to have 10 in your home. Why don't you gather them next week for church and put on a brunch for them and, and um, gather. Maybe it's a bring what you can for brunch and let's celebrate church together as the church and let's increasingly add to our numbers as we're allowed to do so. Maybe it's invite one other person over. But church, let's, this is not a time just to be focused on just getting up and doing church. No, no, no. It's about fellowshipping with one another and doing that regularly in face-to-face and have a coffee and talk to them and catch up. We've got a lot of catching up to do. So let's do that as of next week. When it gets to 80%, um, we're going to open up this building. And if you choose to come, you can, but there's still no singing allowed. And um, you still have to wear a mask. Uh, However, what we're going to do is we're going to open up this building. Mountains Church, we're praying that we're going to be able to get into the school. We're going to look at that and we're going to have a service up there. It's going to be a bit different. And Penrith Church are meeting in a park. And um, Jesse and Jordy really want to look at a way in which we can actually do church in the park and really help our community in that way. So keep your ear to the ground on that one. And as we become less restricted, we're going to be opening up more and more and we're going to let you know exactly what's happening there. But I want to encourage you, even between the services, gather as crowds, not big crowds, gather in the numbers that we're allowed to, reach out to people, go for picnics with people. Come on, this is the time to connect. And what a great weather it is to do it at the moment, although I do hear the next week has got rain. (laughs) Then on the first week of December, which for us will be Friday night the 3rd of December, where we have a service which our young people love, or the 5th of December on a Sunday morning, we're going to gather and we're going to worship the Lord without our masks on and we're going to sing like there's no tomorrow. In fact, we're going to call it Christmas has come early and we're going to put on a kids program for all the kids and uh, we're going to have a great time all the way through December and we're going to, you know, it's going to accumulate every week up until Christmas where on Christmas morning, Oh, let me tell you, I've never sung more than we're going to sing on this Sunday, on that Christmas morning. It's going to be great. Amen. You ready for the word? Father, I thank you for your word. And I pray, Lord God, that your anointing would be on this in every place that it's heard. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Last week, I started a little mini series for us. And that is called This New Church, This New Me. And it's on the back of this new kingdom that we've been preaching on. And... The year that we started off with was all from a word that God gave me out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17. I'll read it to you. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, 
They are a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. I really grabbed that word and, and, and I remember back in February just preaching on this word, the, the, the whole theme about behold, all things are new. And I really felt it was a word over our church for this year. And uh, God is into the new. And uh, he's not really into time. He spans all time. He's the Alpha and Omega. A thousand years is like a day to him. But new as in not old, new as in fresh, new as in there's something exciting happening, that new feeling. And I feel like that God really wants to emphasise this new to us. So he's speaking on this new kingdom, that Jesus came to, to, to establish things differently. And this kingdom that we're able to live in, if we choose to walk in every day, is full of his favour, it's full of his blessing. It's full of peace, it's full of joy, grace. Problem is we don't choose to walk in it every day. This amazing kingdom where Jesus rules. And great sermons on that we've heard from many people. But I felt the other day the Lord say to me, we're gonna make it more personal now. We're gonna preach on about this new church that he has developed. We're not talking about new in 2021, new one that he produced Back in the day, about 2,000 years ago, he started his church. What that church means and the new life we can walk in on that. What's it mean for us? And what does it mean for me? Us as individuals, what's it mean, this new me? And I really felt to bring a, a slight challenge to us to begin to walk our lives, our Christian lives as this new church and as this new me. Paul actually, Jesus actually said, unless you're born again, you won't see the kingdom. This whole new me, I've been born again. I'm a new me now. We are a new church now. And so we wanna preach along that. And uh, I want you to receive it as a nice gentle challenge for us to live this life because I think God has a bigger plan than what we know. Amen? So today I wanna show where we fit in in the scheme of God's plans. Acts chapter two, love Acts chapter two. We're gonna start from verse one down to 13. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as of fire appeared on them and rested on them, on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Verse five. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews devout men from every nation under heaven. At that point, it was about 70 nations, I think. And at this sound, the, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians and Med Medes and Elamites and the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia. Now we're getting to the hard ones to pronounce. <laughs> um, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belong to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongue the mighty works of God. Wow, note that. We hear them saying in our languages the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocked, saying, they are filled with new wine. They're all just drunk. Now, we are a Pentecostal church. If that's the box you wanna put us in, that's it. And we believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's called a Pentecostal church because of this day of Pentecost, of which is recorded in Acts chapter two. We believe that the Spirit has filled us and dwells in us. We believe that the inner man or the inner person is where he lives and he operates out of our lives when we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, 
we hear these, the disciples there prophesying about the greatness of God through other languages. And I believe with the infilling of the Holy Spirit comes this gift of tongues. The Bible teaches this. In fact, if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14, the church got a little bit carried away with this speaking in tongues, speaking in other languages. In fact, Paul actually writes, those who speak in an unknown tongue speak not unto men, but unto God. So it's a God's language. However, it's very interesting. I remember many years ago, um, my youth pastor, Steve Kelly, he's now in Virginia Beach in America, doing a great job over there, seeing amazing things happen with the church over there. And um, he was just, he was my youth pastor. And he was just walking around, just greeting people and just being a very charismatic Steve, who he is. And Steve was, uh, went up to one of these new believers in our church. She was of Greek heritage. Her name was Sula. And he went up to her and he just spoke in tongues, just how he does, blah, 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 blah. And she responded back in Greek. Blah, 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 blah. And he looked, don't understand what you're saying. She said, oh, don't you speak Greek? No. She said, you just told me that God loves me in perfect Greek. <laughs> and I was, I was I, what's this happen? I thought, wow, this is amazing. Speaking in tongues. But I actually believe it's not always just another language. I think it's also a heavenly language. This tongues. We believe that as Pentecostal church. And it's a significant part of our Christianity. And um, it's an evidence that the Holy Spirit has filled you. And, uh, and Paul actually makes a statement. He says, I'm glad that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Well, I'm glad that I speak in tongues. I'm not sure it's more than all of you, but I'm just glad I do because it really edifies the spiritual man within me. And Paul argues, well, it doesn't necessarily edify the church, but it does edify a man or the woman who has it. And um, I remember that, I imagine what that day would have been like. These guys, these girls, 120 of them falling out into the streets, speaking in these languages, and everybody thought they were drunk. Would have been an incredible scene, don't you think? Well, that day was hugely significant concerning God's plans. It's more than just the power of the Holy Spirit coming into us, and we believe that, that with his power, the Holy Spirit comes, it's more than just speaking in tongues. There's a power that comes into the Christian when they are filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul talks about the charismatic gifts in the first book of Corinthians. The, you know, the prophecy, the speaking in tongues, the um, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, healing, miracles, discernment of spirits. All these things are gifts which are powers. And I don't think it's a conclusive list. I think there's many, many more powers that come with the, with the Holy Spirit when he's in you. And it's so, so important. But there's so much more to this day than just that. And uh, so I think it's very significant for this new church and this new me and this new you. So today I wanna to share all about what I believe God wants us to know from this passage. Acts chapter two, verse one. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Why were they there? Why were they gathered together and why did they note that on the day of Pentecost? Well, I did some investigation. It is huge. It is massive and I wanna share with you what I've learned out of this from some study that I've done. And God spoke to me about the significance of it. It is massively significant. We have to go right back 1500 years around about before Jesus was around on earth and um, to the days of Moses when Israel, Israel was held captive in Egypt as slaves. Moses avoided a genocide of young boys. Um, ironic, so was Jesus. He avoided a genocide of young boys as well when he was a boy, little baby. Um, Moses avoided, ended up in Pharaoh's palace, grew up as one of Pharaoh's sons, but yet he was a Hebrew. He was a Jew or an Israelite. And um, he grew up there and one day he saw the slavery and he thought, this is not right, these are my people. And long story short, he said no and he, he actually killed a, a, an Egyptian guard and got himself in a lot of trouble, went into exile and God spoke to him and said, Moses, buddy, you're the deliverer. I want you to free my people. They should not be slaves anymore. They should not be held captive by slavery. So he goes back there, long story short again, if you wanna um, watch the 10 Commandments with Charlton Heston, it's a long movie, it's a great movie, but better still just read Exodus. You can read about how Moses went back and, and he said, let God's people go and Pharaoh says, no. They're actually brothers, they're like brothers these two. 
said, let them go, no. So he said, oh, well, these plagues are gonna come. A plague comes and all these plagues, 10 plagues in all come into Egypt because Pharaoh would not let God's people go. Flies, gnats, maybe mosquitoes, I reckon that'd be the worst ones. Ice, the river turned red blood. But the one that really nailed it for the Pharaoh was that the firstborn of all would be killed at night. The firstborn, the firstborn sheep, the firstborn cow, the firstborn child of every family would die that night. That was a curse, a plague that would come on Egypt. But God made a promise to his people. He said this, I want you to sacrifice a pure lamb and get its blood and paint it on the doorposts. And when, and then have yourself a beautiful lamb meal. But then at night, when this spirit of death comes upon you, it will see the blood on the doorpost and it will, listen to this, pass over you and your firstborn will not die. Well, of course, all the Israelites did that. The Egyptians did not do that. In the morning, firstborn were all dead, except for the Israelites. Pharaoh's at his wits end, he says, just get out of here, go. Take them with you. And they've estimated around about 3 million Hebrews or Israelites that day marched out of Egypt. And you, you read the story, it's amazing how they come to the Red Sea and Moses parts the Red Sea or God does it with his miraculous power and they walk through the Red Sea. The army of the Israel, uh, Egyptians gets crushed. It's an amazing story. Well, <clears throat> around seven weeks after that Passover of the Spirit, God calls Moses up onto a mountain and gives him the Ten Commandments and says to him, if my people will live this way, they'll be blessed. If my people live this way, my favour will be with them. They will grow a strong nation. In other words, I think God's intention was to save the world through these people. And if they live this way, they're gonna be able to do that. After generation after generation after generation, it was all about the generation. But then God actually says to him something else. He says, hey, and we'll pick it up in Leviticus while he's on the mountain. He says this, from the day after the Sabbath, the day you bring the bundle of grain, this is Leviticus 23, verse 15, 16. From the day after the Sabbath, the day you bring the bundle of grain to be filled up as a special offering, count off seven full weeks. Keep counting until the day after the seventh, <coughs> uh, seventh Sabbath. First, uh, 50 days later, then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. You see, when he was on the mountain, he said, I want you to institute three festivals. Love a festival, it's fantastic. The first one was the Passover. To remember that God had passed over the Israelites because they saw the, he saw the blood of the lamb. The blood of the lamb said, do not touch them. They are free from the curse of death. So they celebrate it. And um, it was usually, it was um, to be the first full moon after the, well, for them, it was the spring equinox, where the day and the nights are similar distant, uh, lengths. Um, for us, it's the 21st of March, the first full moon after the 21st of March. And it would be on a Friday. And on that Friday, starting at the... Uh, at 6 p.m. or so, when the sun went down, it would become Passover. And they would celebrate it every year, that was one. They also had another festival called the Tabernacle, um, the, the, the Feast of Tabernacles. And that was at the other equinox in September, around 21st of September. And um, that was, they lived outside in huts just to remember that people had to live in the deserts. But there was a third festival which was just as important. And it was what he talked about here in Leviticus. From that day, the Passover day, the Passover which leads into a Sabbath, the Saturday, goes seven weeks plus one day. You land on a Sunday, which is 50 days later after the Passover. Fascinating. Why would God do that? Well, that was the day many things happened. It was a significant day. And they called it, I'll try and pronounce it right, Shavuot, Shavuot. And uh, it means weeks. So they called it the Festival of Weeks or Seven Weeks. 
And if you want to translate it into Greek, they called it Pentecost, 50 days, Pentecost. And this was a, a celebration they did. So this is why the Jews were actually gathered together. These, these young Jewish men, these Israelites, Hebrews, were gathered together in, after the resurrection of Christ in Pentecost, in, in Jerusalem. They were gathered there. In fact, everyone would come to Jerusalem for this festival. So here we are, seven weeks after the Passover, they were doing this festival. That was the tradition. Now, you fast forward into Jesus' time, 1,500 years after Moses. Jesus comes along and on the Passover, he is crucified. On that Passover. Ironic that the Passover was because of the blood of the lamb. And the blood of the lamb made sure that people were set free from the curse of slavery. Well, Jesus is crucified on the Friday, the Passover. And it was almost, um, or, or was, it was the day before the Sabbath. So that's why they, you know, they wanted him off the cross as quick as possible because they didn't want those crosses hanging around for Sabbath. But it was on that Passover day that the Lamb of God, Jesus' blood, was spilt on the cross which delivered us from the power of sin and death, the slavery to sin. And uh, the ironic, the symbol, it's so significant. Then after that day, you know, that was a Friday, then the Sabbath was a Saturday. Then from there, seven weeks on, seven weeks on, plus one day, the Sunday was the day of Pentecost. And that was the day they were gathered. They were there because, you know, this is what the right thing to do when they were praying and, and um, they, they, Jesus had risen from the grave and they were excited because it's seven weeks after Jesus had done that. And um, he'd actually gone to heaven now and they, they were excited because God, Jesus had said, go into all the worlds, but wait in Jerusalem because, you know, he, God wants to empower you. So they're praying and they're on the day of Pentecost and they probably had a feast there with them because they're eating and it's the feast of weeks. It's a Shavuot, Shavuot. And um, they're doing what they always have done. They were there. You know, pretty much the entire Christian world, in fact, the entire Christian world recognises Easter, this special Passover that happened. In fact, my family, we, on, a, on a Thursday night, we like to represent the last supper that Jesus had with his disciples on the Thursday night before the Friday of Good Friday. And it's something we've made a big tradition in our family and our kids, and we look, look forward to it all the time. We're starting to teach our grandkids about it when we're allowed to meet again. <laughs> it's significant for us, but I'm not sure whether we see the significance of what the day of Pentecost is. Easter is hugely significant. In fact, even those that aren't Christians throughout the world celebrate Easter. But I'm not sure whether anyone, we don't, but I think we should recognise the significance of what this day of Pentecost is all about. It's significant because that was the day the church was born. That was the day that God told people to do significantly, go there and do this. Today I want to talk about what that significance is and what I think it is for our church. Hugely significant. And maybe next, next Pentecost Sunday next year, we're going to do a big celebration of this because I think we need to remember. That's why God got these festivals together so that you would never forget. That's why he got his people to do Passover, the Feast of Tabernacles and this 50-week festival, Pentecost, so that they would never forget, so they could teach their children to never forget why? Because God's people are the hope of the world. Significance. There are four reasons why Pentecost is significant for us, for this new church, this new me, and this new you. First thing is it's significant because we received a new covenant at that point. Jesus set the covenant, but we received it that day. It represents us receiving the new way God did it. It was 50 days after the original Passover, um, the deliverance from Egypt, that Moses received the Ten Commandments. 
It was seven weeks after the original one that he received the Ten Commandments. That's the same time he was told to do these festivals. The Ten Commandments were set up there so that God's people would become strong, that God's people would not have to um, wallow around in sin and wouldn't want to, and doing things that it would set their lives up and their generations up to be a strong nation. Good name for a church, that one. That's why he set the Ten Commandments. It was the original covenant, a uh, covenant, <laughs> government. <laughs> it was so that they could be close to their God, that God could communicate with them, that they wouldn't be estranged from him. They wouldn't be distant. He wouldn't just be a God figurehead, but he'd be a relational God and he could instruct them. And if they were to obey those commandments, each life, each family, and the people of God would become strong, therefore making a strong world. That's what the whole thing was about. When Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, 1500 years later, everything changed. That covenant was changed. It was no longer about, because of what Jesus had done seven weeks earlier, because he paid the price for sin, he fulfilled the law, which was the Ten Commandments, he fulfilled them in us. The Holy Spirit enacted it in us, I believe. Ezekiel prophesied this moment. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 25, 27. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness and from all your idols, I will cleanse you. That's the washing that Jesus gave us through his sacrifice on the cross. Verse 26, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put in you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, the law. I'll cause you to walk in it and be careful to obey my rules. It will come from within you. He came to live within us. The Holy Spirit baptised us, filled us. So now it's not about a law written on a wall somewhere or in a book somewhere. No, he doesn't want us just obeying a law. He wants us to receive what he wants, his statutes in our heart. And that's where the Holy Spirit comes. Jesus actually made a statement. He said the Holy Spirit's coming because he wants to convict the world of sin. That's what I think it's about. I think it's about we know what's right and wrong. The Holy Spirit judge, uh, helps us to judge what is right and what's wrong when he's within us. He guides us and directs us. Those rules of the law are written on your heart. They're a way to live. And he guides and directs us every day and makes us strong. Paul in Galatians chapter 5, it's amazing. He talks about those who walk in the spirit will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And um, very interesting, walking in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit guides and directs us. When we're walking in the Spirit, those rules, those, that, that law is evident in us. We don't have to choose to obey it because it's already in our hearts if we're walking in the Spirit. I don't want a bunch of rules to obey. I want a Spirit to follow. I don't want to keep falling over because that's what happened. People kept tripping over the law all the time. In fact, it became a burden to people. What's, am I doing right? Am I doing wrong? Christianity is not about right or wrong. It's about life and death. It's about living the life. And when Holy Spirit fills us, we're not walking according to the flesh. We walk according to the Spirit. That's where love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, all that stuff happens because it's written on our hearts, as Ezekiel prophesied. That's why the Holy Spirit came. Paul calls it a circumcision of heart. He even suggests this, that it's no longer, that's what the Galatians were all tied up about. They were circumcising all their men into Christianity. And Paul says, no, this is wrong. You, you call them mutilators of the flesh. What are you doing? Don't you get it? It's no longer about having an external indication that I belong to God, cutting a piece of skin off. It's no longer about that. You have a circumcision of the heart. Your heart has changed. This covenant, he brought a new covenant into you. When the Holy Spirit fills you, walking in the Spirit, you walk by a new covenant now. That's why if I don't work on Saturday, or if I do work on Saturdays, I'm not judged. Keeping the Sabbath holy, although it's a great thing to learn how to rest. One day a week at least. 
Circumcision of the heart means God has me. God has my heart. I belong to him. It's because my heart is connected to him. It's significant because that was when the new covenant came and rested within them. You know, you, you read a lot of the writings, especially of Peter, and you see the struggle that he had with the old and the new covenant. But Paul actually understood it. Paul, you read his letters, most of his letters are all about, hey, we're no longer in the old covenant, we're in the new covenant because you are filled with the Spirit. It's significant because we received a new covenant. The next significant is this, God made himself available to everyone. He made himself personal to everyone. Jewish, Jewish legend states that the, at the Ten Commandments, when he was you know, receiving them, seven, um, that when he came down and spoke them to the Israelites, they were read out in 70 different languages. Jewish legend tells us this. And it's interesting that 70 was the number of nations there were then that they knew about. So they wanted the whole world to know the goodness of God and, um, and prophesied how great it would be if we were to stick to these laws. They wanted every tongue to be saying it. Fascinating that on the day that uh, nations heard God's glory being spoken about in tongues by everyone on the day of Pentecost, 1500 years later. Why would God want all the nations to hear it? Because it's for everyone. That's the significance of these guys when they fell out in the streets like they were drunk, speaking another language. God wanted everyone to hear about this. It wasn't just for the Israelites. It just wasn't God's chosen people anymore. The outsiders is the message, as the message puts it. The outsiders are allowed in. The Gentiles, the ones who aren't Jews, are allowed to receive this gift. It is powerful. It was for all nations. The fire that was the smoke that came on Mount, Mount uh, Sinai when the Ten Commandments, fire came onto the disciples' heads that we read it in Acts chapter two. It was symbolic of that moment that God was coming. The power of God was with them. It was God personally. The baptism of the Holy Spirit was not a new thing. In fact, when you read through the Old Testament, you see that Samson got filled with the Holy Spirit and then it left him. Deborah. Ruth, um, David, King David, he was filled as a young boy with the Holy Spirit. And what was unique about him was the Holy Spirit never left him. It was so important to him that when he had sinned, he committed adultery and then killed the husband. Got found out, Nathan the prophet grabbed him and said, listen here, buddy, you've done wrong. Oh, I have too. And if you read Psalm 53, there's, there's David, he's saying, God, God, do whatever you need to do to punish me. But one thing I'd Ask that you not do is do not let your spirit leave me. He had a New Testament or a new covenant glimpse of what the Holy Spirit was about. The Holy Spirit never left him. That's what we have for us. Others got baptised in the Holy Spirit and on him, off him, on him, off him. John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth, his mother, Mary was filled with the Holy Spirit. It wasn't a new thing. What was new was it was now available to everyone. Everyone or anyone could receive the Holy Spirit. He, could, he would fill them all. It was powerful. Peter stands up and preaches straight after the baptism that he received the baptism of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, verse 17. Peter's preaching. He says this, And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour my Spirit out on all flesh. He's quoting from Joel. I will pour my Spirit out on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men and your will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Even on your male servants, even servants and female servants. In those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. Sons, daughters, young, old, even servants and masters. And we go to find out, and the disciples found out, even Gentiles, Cornelius, the Roman guard, the Roman centurion or whatever he was, he received the baptism hall. He was a Roman, an Italian. He received it. Peter struggled with that for a while. That's the beautiful thing about everything changed. This new church was about for everyone. 
It wasn't just for the elite. It wasn't just for those who, you know, um, were God's people, so to speak. No, no, no. He allowed everyone to become God's people from this point on. Everyone. No matter who you are. No matter what you've done. No matter what you look like. As long as you're not wearing a rabbit's jersey. <laughs> Alright, Linz. <laughs> everyone can receive the power of the Holy Spirit through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. God poured it out on this day and he set in place something significant. It was empowerment. It was something that every person who desired it would be able to receive. The third significance that I realised on this day was this, that we were declared holy. The festival of weeks began on, back in the Passover, you know, the Passover would come, the festival of weeks would come and that it would begin on the Sunday with them bringing a sheaf of barley and that barley would be, it was the first fruits of their harvest because this is the beginning of harvest season, right? The beginning of, it's just before summer began, it was a few weeks before summer. So they bring their first fruits and they bring this barley and they would wave it around, the priest would wave it and what that does, it says now, now, that is pleasing to God. Then they'd celebrate for seven weeks and for the seven weeks they'd have feasts and they'd get to know each other and they'd talk more and chat. And, and then on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after, it was different. They didn't just bring in a sheaf of barley, they brought in grain of wheat, grains of wheat. And that wheat was the first fruits of their latest harvest. And it was declared holy because that was given, then the rest of their harvest would be considered holy. Fascinating. They believe this. Well, let's look at the day of Pentecost where these disciples were at. We think about it that when Jesus rose from the grave, he died on the cross and rose from the grave. He was the first fruit offering. He was the first offering. In fact, Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 15 to 20, says this, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first fruits of the great harvest of all who have died. Then he goes on to say, Paul says, death, where is your sting? Where is your victory? Death has been swallowed up in victory. The context of this is this, because Jesus died and rose again, we now have that for us. But not only that, there's a great harvest of people that will receive that. A great harvest. So death has no victory over them anymore because that harvest that will be reaped is now holy. Death has no victory over it. Death cannot hold them down because they are victorious. Jesus was the first and what that did, because that offering was made, wow, the first fruit offering, the rest of the harvest is considered holy. You're considered holy. But Rick, if you knew my life, God does know your life, but because of the first fruits that were sacrificed on that day, because the Pentecost, from that day, the harvest goes out and you're part of that harvest. Also think about the harvest that we are to reach, the harvest that we want to reach. Wow, they're considered holy, though. well, they will be because they can escape the death, they can escape this curse of sin because of the first fruits. Jesus was the barley and we are the wheat represented. That's why Peter stood up on Acts chapter two. In Acts chapter two, in his preaching, he went on to say this, repent and be baptised every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for, this, for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For this promise is for you and your children and all those who are far off, even everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. This promise, it's not just for you, it's for your children also and their children and their children and their children, but all those that are far off, anyone who the Lord calls. Wow, that's the harvest. That harvest has been ripe since that day. That harvest is ready. They've just got to be taken in now. 
It's been promised. And the last significance I see out of this is that I think it's the most important for me. And that is the significant because on that day we were made priests of his kingdom. This is the day that the Lord created his church, the called out ones. And they were, that beautiful bride, that body of Christ was born into existence. But here's the thing about the church. We are all considered priests of God. I believe this is the most significant part because it's a part of his plan. Not only should we be empowered, not only are we made holy, not only are we justified through the new covenant, but we're priests. We carry something. He's in us, but he's in us for a cause. He's not in us just so we can speak in tongues and just so we can just pray for people. Not so we can just have prophecies. No, 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 no. They are all there for one purpose. And that one purpose is so that others could be ministered to. So that that harvest could hear about the good news. So that that harvest could be healed. So that that harvest could be prophesied over. That's why. It wasn't like this in the Old Testament days. I think God's intention was for always that his people would all be priests. But it didn't work out that way. It's like everyone had to go to the priest. I see a lot of churches that way right now. Well, the priest or the pastor. The pastor's got to tell me this. The pastor's got to tell me that. It's not the way it should be. Every believer who has the Holy Spirit operating within them is a priest. You've heard me say this before, this old story. I met a guy called T.L. Osborne. He was an incredible man of God. Throughout Africa, he saw so many great healing crusades. And because I didn't understand that I was a priest of God, I went up to T.L. Osborne and I said, sir, do you mind praying for me? Lay hands on me for an impartation. He said, why do you want that? I said, oh, well, you're a man of God. He said, okay, well, I could give it to you, but why would you want it secondhand? God doesn't want us to get anything secondhand. We are the priests. In Exodus, we see Moses, 1,500 years before Christ, up on Mount Sinai. The Lord called Moses to him, Exodus chapter 19, verses three and six. Lord called Moses to him from the mount saying, thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, tell the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore, on your eagles, I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, you, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, those things have been achieved by the Holy Spirit, those things, okay? You shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. God's saying, I love all the people. I want all the people. I want all the nations. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. 2000, or 1,500 years later, we've got these disciples sitting in another room. Fishermen, tax collectors. Who knows what the rest of them were doing? doing one of them was a zealot. He was an army officer, so to speak, in a malicious army, you know, a militia army. They were just average people. You have Mary, you had the other Mary probably there. You had all these followers of Christ who were just simple people. But then the Holy Spirit came on them. Filled them on the day of Pentecost, 50 days, seven weeks, plus one. Filled them, empowered them. They had, you know, the, the holiness of God was upon them. They were no longer the same. They were different. They were new. And they became priests of God, every one of them. Interesting. At Passover, Remember the feast, Passover, then you got the Pentecost, seven weeks later. At Passover, they had a feast called the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. Very significant. The unleavened bread was to have no leaven in it, so it was flat. Kebab bread. Put a bit of lamb in there, beautiful kebab, right? At Pentecost, they were to bring wheat loaves full of leaven and offer those. At the day of Pentecost, and they, the priest would wave them before the people, Full of leaven. They were allowed to have leaven. You see, leaven represents teaching. Leaven represents what you are learning. 
okay? Remember Jesus said, beware the leaven of the Pharisees, their teaching, beware of it. See, what gets taught gets put into you and it begins to grow within you and that's the way teaching's meant to happen. You get taught something and it grows within you to become something that's fruitful in your life. <clears throat> that's what leaven is all about or, or yeast is all about in bread. And the way I read this is that before the old Passover, it was unleavened. But now it's different. You've got leavened bread. The Holy Spirit will teach you, will guide you. You are now his priest. In fact, Jesus actually said this in John 14, 25 to 26. These things I've spoken to you um, while I am still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. He's gonna teach you more things and he's gonna, you're gonna remember everything I've taught you too. That's what the Holy Spirit, that's what came into the church on Pentecost. That Holy Spirit, that gift, he's now our teacher, he's our now guider, he directs us, he convicts us when we're doing something wrong. He's the one who comforts us. He is the one who allows us to be preachers, teachers, priests, pastors, comforters, ministers of the gospel. That's what it's about. Peter actually understands this. He says this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. You also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, church, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable God through Jesus Christ. And he goes on in verse 9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvellous light. This is who this new church is. This is who this new me is. This is who this new you are. You're a priest. I think many Christians walk around hoping that someone would teach them Get a good sermon. Google has made available so many great sermons and stuff. They're not your priests. There is the high priest, Jesus Christ. He's the high priest, but you're his priest. You represent him. The priest was someone you would go to to get direction from God. We've got a world out there to be harvested. God loves them. He wants the nations back. He wants them all to come to him. They're gonna need help. Who do they go to? They go to the priest. You, me. How, right now, in our lifetime, I've never seen a time where people are so hungry for good news. In my lifetime. They're so hungry for healing. They're so hungry for hope. They're so hungry for something which can set them free. Where are they gonna go? Let them come to the priest. Not just Pastor Rick. My, my role is to help you to be that priest. All the ministers, the priests, all the priests or pastors' roles is all geared towards you becoming a priest. I quoted this last week. Jesus said it. The harvest is white, but the workers in view. Pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send out workers into the field. Where the workers, where the priests. And because of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you are officially a priest. And I challenge you, church, let's go and minister. Let's go and let the love of Jesus be heard. Do you know of someone who needs some good news right now? Why don't you book a picnic with them and just chat about good news? Show the love of Jesus. And if they ask you, what is it about you? Just say, man, I've got a faith in Christ. Can I tell you about him? They say, no, that's cool. They're not ready. But if they say, I just need hope. Wow, you have the hope. Jeremiah prophesied something which I think is quite scary. Jeremiah 29, 8, I think it is, or somewhere around there. It says this, the harvest has ended. The summer is over and we are not saved. Ouch. I don't want to hear anyone say that. 
Church, we're coming into a time where we're getting freedoms. We should be tippy toes ready to go. We should be, as a church, this new church, this new me, bring it on. Because there's a harvest out there to, to, to bring in through love, acceptance and forgiveness. That's what we do. We go out and we receive the harvest for our Saviour. Why? Because we're priests. We've been, we're holy. We're under a new covenant. We've been filled with power. Church, this is not a time to be feeling sorry for ourselves. This is not a time to be going, yay, I just want to enjoy my life. I think you'll truly enjoy life if you realise that you're the priest that God's called you to be. Well, the day of Pentecost is very significant, hugely significant. The Passover, day of Passover, which we call Good Friday and Easter for us, that is hugely significant. But I think this is just as significant. When the Holy Spirit came to fill us, I pray that you would be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you haven't been, why don't you ask? I actually think it's separate to salvation. I think it's two different things. Sometimes it happens together. For me, it wasn't. It was two different things. I decided to follow Christ. But it was another time when someone laid hands on me and I got filled with the Holy Spirit. I began to speak in those tongues. But more than that, he dwelt in me. And for the rest of my life, I've been walking with him, speaking to me and showing me how to do this thing. Have I done it perfectly? No, by no means. And I probably won't continue perfectly either. But it doesn't matter. He's with me. I like to walk in the Spirit. Church, why don't we, from this day onwards, decide that we're going to walk in the Spirit? That's where we find that we're priests and we can minister to a lost, hurting and dying world. The local church is the hope of the world. It really is. And I believe it's because of the day of Pentecost. And we can live that today. Amen. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you that you sent your son to die on the cross for us and raise again for victory so that we are no longer cursed by sin, that we are no longer slaves to it. But Lord, I also thank you that you sent your Holy Spirit to dwell within us, to fill us to overflowing. Lord, that we are considered holy under this new covenant that you've brought us. Lord, that we are able to see the power of God in our lives, your power, thank you. But Lord God, that we have been made priests, priests of that covenant, that new covenant. Father, I pray for every member of Strong Nation Church right now, Lord, that you would show us the harvest. You would show us who needs good news. And Lord, more importantly, would you give us opportunities to share how much Jesus loves that person to them. I pray peace on every household. I pray strength in every marriage. I pray, Lord God, right now, Lord God, that every individual would sense your presence with them. And Lord, for those that are not filled with the Holy Spirit, would you fill them to overflowing with a baptism of the Holy Spirit, I pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, God bless you. I hope you've enjoyed this message. I've enjoyed preparing it. And um, we'll see you later. God bless you.